TED Audio Collective. This is ZigZag, a podcast about changing the course of capitalism, journalism, and women's lives. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Just a little refresher here. Jen and I weren't really sure what we were getting into when we quit our jobs, started our own media company, joined a blockchain startup, and then started documenting it all on this podcast. Could we maintain our creative partnership, make stuff that we loved, and pay the bills? That uncertainty is precisely what many of you have told us you're also going through. I appreciate so much that you are sharing this story starting from the point where you don't know what you're doing because so often people are sharing from the perspective of having already figured it out and then they're talking about like, oh yeah, I struggled with that too when I was starting, but they've actually forgotten what the real struggle was. It's such a daily struggle figuring out the money piece and how do you make this sustainable and work and at the same time not sell your soul or be indebted to someone else who then drives the vision for what you do. I, I'm holding back my tears. Listening to you guys really gives me a lot of encouragement and really makes me uncomfortable in a good way. So thank you. Thanks for sharing even the stuff that is uncomfortable or unpleasant. On this episode, the struggles of entrepreneurship deciding how to grow, how to deal with a roller coaster of emotions, and what to do if things go, well, badly. Like the token sale you heard about last week. It didn't work, like in a pretty spectacular way. Failure hurts. How do you bounce back? It's season two, episode three of ZigZag. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Friends, my co-founder Jen Poyant is here in the studio with me in Brooklyn. Jen, hi, you look tired. <laughs> Hello. All right, I just want to do quick like reminder, Jen, because I know you're tired. But uh, we did a big update last week on what happened to Civil, and I do think um, I like the way that the Verge, the tech website, the Verge, is describing Civil. It describes it as. Um, a media project using blockchain to launch a new generation of ad-free media startups. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good description of it. In any case, Matthew Isles, the CEO of Civil Media, the guy who like came up with the whole idea for this project, had to come on and pretty much eat crow on the show. I actually thought he did a pretty good job. What did you think? I think he did too. I think it's not easy to admit when you've made mistakes 
especially when you're a CEO and he's young CEO as well. I mean, I yeah. know when I'm not being ageist, but experience helps and he's, this is relatively new. I know he's had a, a marketing company in the past, um, digital marketing, but it's not easy to do. And, and he admitted where some of the mistakes originated and I thought he did okay. You know what? I'm just going to pause for one second to tell our listeners that if the show sounds a little different this week, it's because we are actually in a studio in our co-working space, and there are a lot of young entrepreneurial types wandering around having conversations. So just setting the scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read you – oh, I wanted to add one more thing. <laughs> we got to keep that in. Totally. Um There it is again. I wanted to (laughs) add one more thing um, that I actually thought that failure focused Matthew's message in some ways, like maybe no sleep becomes him or something. But we've interviewed him in the past and we haven't really used the tape that much, full disclosure, because it kind of it didn't it was too in the weeds. We didn't it didn't really hang together. Well, which is to be honest, I mean, that's been part of his problem, right? Not just not just in interviews, but with I mean, he said it the other day he's failed on messaging. He has, but he did a much better job in that interview than he had in past interviews. Right, he he managed to (laughs) step up that way. I think um, so. Breaker Mag is this new um, website, like about blockchain and stuff. It's pretty. I think it's really good, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I liked this review. This was was really interesting. They said Civil has unquestionably failed, despite scads of media attention, to succinctly convey what they're trying to do. That might be because it's trying to do all of the things. This was all caps. A micropayment system, a crowdsourced fact-checking mechanism, a system of independent newsrooms, quote-unquote, funded by a foundation, instead of just keeping its operations simple. And then he, this guy David Morris goes on to give the four major reasons why <laughs> they failed. Uh-huh. And the second one, I think, is just funny. You couldn't even buy the hopium they were selling. You like that word, hopium, it's don't funny. you? It's funny. It's really funny. I, mean, I was like, yes, that's true. Now, okay, so one thing we didn't get into on the last episode is how the token sale failure affects us, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal after the whole failure thing, and I kind of was like, it doesn't really affect doesn't. us. And and it was so nice. We got so many emails um, from like people we know, like Laura Shin, yeah. a crypto journalist mm-hmm. who's been on the podcast. Like, I'm checking in on you guys. Are you okay? Lots of listeners checking in on us. And I was kind of like, you know, it's a bummer, but actually, it kind of seems to suit civil being the underdog. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the tokens, we just we have, we counting haven't on been them. counting on them for months. No. So, well, I mean, I think if anything, for us, it's odd because if anything, it makes for an interesting turn in the narrative. <laughs> Yeah. Julie Shapiro, the executive producer of Radiotopia, was like, I guess it's bad for life, but good for the podcast, yeah. question mark. I was like, hard. Yeah. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. And, you know, gives us an opportunity to keep watching. I mean, this is a moment for them. They're going to have to really turn. There's another, I'm not sure which piece it was, It was if it was in the breaker piece, but some, some journalist pointed out that $3.5 million to continue to pay grants to to the foundation, that's going to go fast. It is going to go fast. Um, and then to continue to operate civil media, like that money's going to run out relatively fast. But you know what I've been realizing? The number that we don't have mm-hmm. is how much money Consensus has invested in civil media, the the for-profit arm. Right. We don't know. Yeah, and Joe, we asked Joe Lubin that. He said it's hard the, to count. <laughs> he's, he, he basically implied that some of it has to do with sweat equity. 
All right, I want to move on. Enough about them. Let's talk about us. One, I want to talk about a couple things that we have been debating that I feel like our listeners might actually have really good responses to. I haven't checked in with you in a while on a couple of these, so maybe it's a good time to talk about it anyway. Mm -hmm. One of the debates that you and I have been having is about ZigZag itself, the podcast. Like, for example, the reason I keep repeating what civil is defining it, I mean, that must drive regular listeners insane. They're like, yeah, 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 we know what civil is. But you know, I'm I'm also hoping that we're attracting new listeners for season two and that some of them actually have no idea what civil is. And I don't want them to feel left out. What do you think about that strategy? Is it annoying? Welcoming? Both? You're, to repeat it? Yeah. I think it's necessary. I mean, I think you've gotten to the point where you do it pretty succinctly. Okay. Thank you for that. And I think our core listeners that are coming back at this point, A, understand why you're doing that. B, get it, and probably just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh (laughs) And it's important to orient new people, and we want to welcome them into our community. It's not going to be very helpful if they don't know what the hell we're talking about. Right. And this brings us to the, the core question that we're having. It's finding this balance of trying to broaden our ZigZag podcast audience versus... I don't know. I kind of like part of me. You want it to be culty? Yeah. Doubling down on like our really dedicated listeners so that we could totally nerd Nerd out. We're doing that this season. Come on. Well, and my worry is that if we try to broaden the audience too much, that we will lose some of the nuance that we feel and are reporting on is sorely lacking in media these days if we go too broad. Well, I mean, it, what do you even mean by going too broad? Like, we're, we're obviously not doing that. The first two episodes of this season, we dug deep into misinformation and disinformation with that Knight Foundation report. I guess that's the, definitely right. not broad. Well, the question is, and I think this is a, you know, sort of existential question going on in podcasting generally, and mm-hmm. maybe TV people have this too, but should it be a narrative? About us and the yeah, tech Yeah, like tech that world? you start with... Every season, you have to start with number one so that if you went to straight to number cha- episode mm-hmm. five, you'd have mm-hmm. no idea what the crap, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Or should it just be like, you know, Radiolab, every episode is good and they exist in their own bubble? Well, I have favored the narrative format for this show. I mean, I'm obviously for other shows, I'm willing to do something completely yeah, you've different. Done, this is, yeah. Yeah. But for this, this is, a, this is our narrative. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And people are along for the ride, and they've accepted that, the ones that are, you know, really hardcore listeners. So I would prefer not to veer too far off that course. Like, I think there's a way— but that to, might limit us. I don't—I don't agree, and here's why. Okay. Everybody can tell we're experimenting with the format all the time, and we like to do that, right? So yeah, that's our favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, these—for example, episodes one and two of this season— those segments where we did the Knight Foundation reporting stuff, that's Radio Lab-esque in the sense that you could just pluck that out and it could work on its own. Right. The narrative we return to is where people get an update on what's going on in our lives and in our business and with civil and with everything that's happening. And I think that actually works fine. I think that actually ZigZag is is the lab where we're figuring out what the rest of our business is, and that seems totally viable. But it means that we can't rely on advertising dollars because right now the show is a, healthy for a show that's only been around for four months. Yeah. It's really healthy. But the major— We're not going to no. get millions of people listening to this. No. And I think we're not going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars with— Through sponsorship. Through, yeah— 
ads. We're not going to. We're just not going to. And that's a reality. And so now we have to be like, we're fine with that. Which is also why one of the reasons we joined Radiotopia is we wanted to be a big hit. Of course, we are weird and culty <laughs> in that sense. Like, so we, so we, are you, listener. No, it's, <laughs> we're glad you. It's great. Here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. But, that, but the thing, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, like, Radiotopia. There's always kind of an understanding that if we didn't become massive hits, we could be nerdy and weird, and right. and you know, the the amount of money we make might not be as much as uh, with our grand ambitions with Zigzag, but. We've also decided that we're going to find other ways to make money. Nice pivot, John Poyant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so let's talk about that. I, I just want to list the ways that we do have money coming. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, to be clear, it's not a ton of money. We did get an email from someone who was like, if you ask me to donate to your show, I want to know exactly how much you're spending on your audio engineer. I was like, oh, golly. Well, I don't know how my audio engineer would feel about that, so I will not be responding (laughs) to you. In any case, though, we have sponsorship revenue. When you hear me read an ad, that is because they pay us money. We Mm -hmm. try to only accept ads that we feel okay about. Uh, We have continue to have our civil grant. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear about that. The money that that civil does have mm-hmm. is maintaining our grant through next through part of next year. Right. Uh, for now. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, the Knight Foundation, those first two episodes, they helped us, you know, we wanted to make it beautiful when we reported on that awesome report that they did about misinformation in Twitter. And that, that requires more hours of audio engineering. So they gave us some money to support those two episodes. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? We're missing... Listener donations, yes. which which continue to come in, and we so appreciate it. I just pulled up the spreadsheet that shows you know what people are donating and from where. I haven't tallied the exact number, and I will do that, and I'll report back on that. But it's really cool. The donations come in every day, and they come in from a range of sometimes five dollars to a hundred dollars. Every once in a while, somebody decides to really splurge and give us 200 bucks, which is awesome. Every donation we appreciate. And they're coming from all over the place. Like where? I'll just read off right now. Just I'm just scrolling randomly here. Switzerland, Germany, Newport Beach. Awesome. Um, <laughs> all sorts of places. England, Australia, Mexico City, Singapore. There's definitely some Kiwis in there. Lisbon. Dan, I'm thinking of you. Tazzy Dan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Just all over the place. And Oh, he's not in... Oh, you're going to kill me. You're in Tasmania, of course. You're not in New Who Zealand. Who are you even talking about right and now? He's like my pen. <laughs> <laughs> I know these listeners. I feel like I know them. There was one guy... We got an email today, actually, um, from the people who run the donation platform um, for Civil Pico, they're called. Mm-hmm. And they said, we realized that one guy had set up a recurring donation for you every month. Inadvertently. Inadvertently. And... Uh, they call, they emailed him and were like, you know, you did this. Shall we shut it off? And do you want your money returned? Because we don't. You yeah, because he had ultimately donated like more than four hundred bucks by this point. Right. He hadn't noticed, and he said no. no. He let said let them keep the so, money. Thank you, sir. Can I ask a um? Yeah, thank you. Can I ask like, are we talking thousands or in yeah. the tens of thousands? No, in the thousands, not in the tens of thousands. Okay, in the thousands, not the tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, it's it's something. We got to talk more about that. What we're gonna. We still haven't decided whether there's going to be a subscription model component or whatever it is. Okay. Should we move on from that? Or I don't know. About, about like all the, the, the way the, we the make our we're money? Making money. Because I think we should pivot to the next thing, which is new projects yes. that are separate from ZigZag. 
and really will be uh, a key source of revenue, we hope, going into 2019. We're not at the place where we're signing on the dotted line with these yet, so we can't be specific, but I hope we will be in the next month Month? or so. Yeah, it's exciting. People don't realize this is the first time we've mentioned this, but we are working on developing other projects right now. Would it? Okay. That would be the primary source of funding for us. Okay. Best case scenario, all the projects come through. Ah! <laughs> uh, Let's give people a sense, though, and we can give them a hint. We're talking about potentially making other shows. Other shows. Yeah. That sort of thing. And if they happen, I think we're going to definitely need help. And we are definitely going to need to, you know, we. I feel like we have proof of concept, mm-hmm. you and I. Yeah. But now we get to the point where, like, we actually make the things. Yes. You know, there are all these questions, right, when it comes to to how you grow, right? So (laughs) we have the world's best audio engineering team, and they all work remotely, and they all are freelancers. And they like being freelancers, but it also means that they're busy and they're juggling a bunch of projects themselves. And we literally don't have a studio right now, right? We go to David's studio sometimes. We're in this lovely studio here in our co-working space right now, but we're kind of bouncing around. And if we're going to be making two or three other shows, we got to figure out the studio situation, the engineering situation, because our wonderful engineer, he's got so much work. I don't know if he's like... And I think, you know, and it's one thing for him if he decides like, yes, he takes all the work that we would like to give him. That's putting all his eggs in our basket, so to speak. That's kind of a weird... (laughs) (laughs) feels weird, but whatever. You know what I mean, listeners. Um, And of course, he should diversify his business too. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I I feel differently. I, I... I would prefer to be his only client. I just don't know if he wants to deal with us that much. It's a lot of us. <laughs> okay. So but the other thing I'd like oh, to say is yes. like then it's not just audio engineering. Then we have to hire another producer. We just brought on our first producer on contract for uh, through the end of the year. That's exciting. She's going to be starting in November. And people, you will get to know her. Her name is Thalia Beatty. She has a public radio background, but for the last couple years, mm-hmm. has been working at Storyful, which is a fact-checking mm-hmm. uh, organization. Like, they look at, like, videos. She specifically was looking at tweets and videos and all kinds of stuff coming out of the Middle East and verifying in whether— Yeah. And, no joke. Yeah. She was verifying whether they were true or not. And it's, it's like an added layer to all the news coming out. Like, can it be trusted? I think she saw a lot of really horrific, horrific stuff. And she's ready to— not be looking at stuff like that. So we are really psyched that she's going to hang out with us. And uh, she's got serious news chops, which is cool. Yeah. And she's also looking to grow her audio uh, chops as well, which is exciting to for me. You know, I like to help uh, producers develop that skill set as well. So that was the best case scenario, by the way. Worst case scenario. None, None of, of the projects. Yeah. Well, then we can just keep going. Yeah. I think we'll be okay, actually. Do you think we'll be okay? Yes, we'll be fine. These are all opportunities that have come to us because, like you said, ZigZag is proof of concept that we know what Mm -hmm. we're doing. We know how to make good content. We know how to produce beautiful audio and storytelling. We know how to look at tech and society and make it accessible to people. Those are all very, very valuable assets to bring. I would like to take a moment. Yes. And... Pat ourselves on the back a tiny bit. Oh, we've managed rather indulgent. It it is, but we uh, we've managed to launch season two. This last couple weeks was very intense, and 
I think we're making decent shows and our listeners are coming through and really telling us that what we're doing matters to them. And that's really important. So it's the most important thing. I, I will say I had kind of a scary moment over the weekend. Um, my brain wasn't working. I mean, not that I don't have that moment all the time, but it was particularly not working. And I was like, either the stress has like damaged part of my (laughs) brain. I know it's absurd. Or it's my ethernet Apple pod things. Like maybe. Why do you think that? I don't know. I feel like it's something is makes me a little dizzy when I wear them. It's just a paranoia. Maybe it's an an inner ear thing. That's what I'm wondering. Or am I, was I sick? And since I feel better today, but despite having had very little sleep, I think I was sick. But I had that, you know, that moment where you're like, oh, my God, yeah, I am dying. And before I die, I'm going to lose the capacity to fulfill all the expectations of all the speaking Whoa, engagements that I had. you had like a really had. big moment there. I'm not going to be able to write the episode. I'm not going to be able, like, I had a moment where I was like, I will not be able to show up. And it freaked me out. I think I was, I think I was sick. Yeah, I, I, I feel much were. better today. But it, but those moments, like you, they really stick with me. They freak me out. I mean, you wrote the book Bored and Brilliant to remind I think yourself more than anybody else in this world that you need to slow down sometimes and go chill out. And <laughs> <laughs> these are those moments where you have. These... I was so determined to chill out that I wrote a book about it. <laughs> you totally did, dude. <laughs> but it's like the moment you're describing from this weekend is a wake up call to go. Take a nap. And you know when I'm going to take that nap? Next week. (laughs) On a flight to California. No, you won't. I know you. You think I'll work? I know you will work. That's your favorite time to work. It is my favorite time to work. But that, but. I mean, I, I invite you to, I, I would love for you to take a nap on that flight. Are you challenging me, Jen Moya, to take a nap (laughs) on a flight? I will accept your challenge. I mean, it's also impressive that you can. It's kind of hard to take naps on planes. I'm really tired, though. Maybe I, I'm worried that I'm at that tired phase where you feel kind of cracked out, like you're so no, tired that you're totally awake. I was nervous coming into this recording that I was like wouldn't be able to speak properly, like get the words out of my mouth properly. You showed up, sister. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so after a quick break, we are going to have more from the interview that we did with Matthew Isles, the CEO of Civil. We got into a lot of interesting stuff about resiliency and startup life. And as you listen, I am so curious to know, does he have a different perspective than me and Jen? Should you pay attention to press coverage, good or bad? And what do you do when a mean comment just hits you right there? It hurts. It's after the break. Okay, so as we've told you, the guy who came up with the whole idea for Civil is Matthew Isles. You heard from him in the last episode why he thinks the token sale failed. But we just want to give you a little more biography details. Matthew's in his early 30s. He worked at ESPN. Then he had his own marketing company. Husband is the first way he describes himself in his Twitter profile, which I think is interesting. He's also the child of entrepreneurs, so he thinks a lot about how to keep your head straight when you're running a business. 
And I really wonder what you, dear listeners, think of his mindset. And if it bodes well for whatever happens next with Civil. Here's the rest of our conversation with Civil Media CEO, Matthew Isles. Do you have one, like, word of advice, um, you to potential CEOs or people running businesses? You know, I think the sort of tried and true advice to an entrepreneur is don't pay attention to press because it's it's um, transient often and it can distract you. But of course, in our unique situation, the press <laughs> is our customers. No, I get, no I, I, that's what I mean, right? So it's sort of commonplace, right? An entrepreneur gets an article written about them and they're like, that's not how it works, right? And of course, like, but like for us, it's like, that's not how it works. And you're our customer, uh, you know, and right. you're supposed to be our user. So it's like doubly like, uh, so I think that the, the, the overwhelming feeling for a little bit was, um, first of all, just it just sucks when there is bad press, and that's true no matter what kind of business you're in or whatever. But then for us to be like, man, the the way in which we are articulating ourselves, the way in which we um, – the gap between uh, the vision and the execution is clearly too wide. And, um, and yet it – but back to the piece of advice – it can create sort of a rat race in your mind where it's like the the article hits and you're like, everybody stop what you're doing. We have to solve this problem. Did you see what they said about this thing? We need to release a new email that explains that thing better. And you kind of get thrown off your your game. Like any company, any project needs to have a plan, a strategy, a process. It needs to move. It needs to respond to customer feedback, but it can't be reactive all the time. And um, I think the past few weeks, just because of the nature of how we set this up for ourselves, there's been a tremendous amount of um, of attention paid to us and and pointing, not pointing at fingers, but pointing at mistakes. And the the gut reaction was. Oh, we gotta, we gotta let them know that that's not how that works. Or we gotta let them, we gotta put out this new thing. We gotta, we gotta fix that thing. And um, and so I think for us and where the relief comes from is, I hope perhaps after this week, after people give us sort of uh, whatever they think the denouement of the civil ta- token <laughs> sale should read, um, you know, maybe they move on to something else for a little bit so that we can kind of have our headspace back, focus on what the next steps are going to be for us, which aren't going to be very long before we start announcing and actually rolling those out. But um, I think that we will learn to be far more focused. Um, skeptics or or people who don't understand need to be heard because we need to understand what we're not communicating effectively, but we can't be driven by that. We need to be driven by this. It's making me realize why I've been... <sighs> wiggy about going into the email inboxes because it's precisely that from like I'll have one email that's like it doesn't matter what happens we're excited for the next season of zigzag it's been a rough few weeks for women in this country I need some Mnuchin Jen to help me feel better about being a girl like I read that and I'm like yeah we're doing it (laughs) like you know and I'm like montage where we're like cutting tape and the episodes are going out and we're high-fiving in my mind and then like the next minute I'll read something that is so painful. Can I, I tried a, to find the meanest comment I possibly could about civil just because I wanted to like, let's just find the meanest one. Because I think when you air it, it feels better. Can I read it to you? It's kind of funny, actually. Uh, sure, but I bet we've got you have a, more? <laughs> a, a list longer than my arm that, oh, that okay. can beat so it. So this one is from a blogger named David Gerard who tweeted us at us this morning, Jen. 
The whole scheme seems like something that a first-year economics student who's read too much Ron Paul comes up with in a fever dream. It's like they took Bitcoin economics and transported it to journalism. It's a multi-layered lasagna of things that make no fucking sense. Nothing about it makes sense. I don't understand why they think this would work. That's the other thing is when journalists write their critiques, uh, they're so good at writing that, like, they hurt even more because the sharpness of the words is so, like, pointed. Thanks. uh, Hat tip to the FT for pointing out that review to me. It's not a far-off description, frankly. (laughs) Really? I, I won't call myself Ron Paul or whatever, but a lot of this is, like, based off of how can we fix the economics. And right now, media platforms, there's two. Media platforms are capturing seven out of every 10 ad dollars that are going out there. And they're the ones deciding what content people see. Um, I'm talking about Facebook and Google. And that's the way it works. If you want to be successful in media, you have to work through them. And they make all the decisions and they capture all the money. And it's, I think, a core reason. Like the three things in my sort of analysis of the space that have led to where journalism is that the internet has wrought are advertiser dominance. So it used to be that the news organization was in charge of the customer relationship and that you would build an audience on trust and value. And podcast is actually one of the few remaining sort of channels where this is still kind of the case. And then advertisers would pay the news organization to reach the audience. The audience knew that advertisers were handpicked, and and that's the way it worked. When the internet comes around, advertisers don't need to go through news organizations anymore. They can go straight to the customer. And then we start to create these media platforms, Google and Facebook, which are, in fact, the place where media publishers must go, but they're fundamentally ad products. Then that leads to extreme centralization. Like I mentioned, we've got these two companies who are in charge of most of the media that people see, what media is acceptable, what media is not acceptable, through algorithms that people don't understand or or don't even realize that their information is being used against them in the way that, that it is, uh, or they're hiring in-house fact-checkers with no transparency or accountability. And then that leads to extreme polarization. When you are an advertiser and you're looking at how you're going to get your products out and right now, most people, it must be digital. You, Like I said, 7 out of $10. You, you, most of your budget is going into Facebook and Google these days. And what's so fantastic about these platforms, and I'm saying fantastic from the advertiser perspective, is I can not only reach billions of people, but I can serve them, each one of them, highly specific messages. Right, Segmentation is always going to lead to better ad ROI. I don't care if my ad is next to an impactful investigative story, a cat video, or a conspiracy theory video, as long as I'm making money on the dollars that I put in. And when you think about it from that perspective, polarization, meaning carving people into smaller and smaller filter bubbles and echo chambers away from each other, is a very effective advertising strategy. So that's what we've brought ourselves into. Advertiser dominance, extreme centralization, and extreme polarization. What we're trying to do is completely change that whole model. We think that through a platform that's based on shared records, on shared governance, and shared currency, where the users, the participants, are actually the ones who are not only in control of the actual underlying mechanism, but then whatever value is created through their participation, they actually keep, and there isn't some sort of central authority making the decisions or extracting the the rent, that that's a far better uh, outcome for everybody. How do we do it? Don't do a token sale <laughs> <laughs> for 8 million bucks, four weeks, and 34 million tokens. But I think, and of course, the jury's still out on whether our particular design is going to work. But the problems are well documented in the current landscape. 
we must come up with something radically new. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced, of course, that civil is still the model to do it. Um, We are at the very beginning of how we execute that model, and we need to do a better job, um, and we will, because, frankly, I think we must. You've still got the fever. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Look, the problem, look, I, I, uh, I, I, um... I was on the phone with someone the other day, and they were asking me sort of similar questions as you, like, how are you doing? Like, this is an interview. How are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? And I was like, you know, I'm a guy who wrote a blog post two years ago. <laughs> you know, like, I, like this is, this it all started off of, does anybody else see these problems in the world? And is anyone else drawn to trying something different? And what we've proven, and this is proven, is other people are drawn to this idea. That is true. But I would also add, you're not just a guy who wrote a blog post. You actually made your money as a marketing person. Yeah, so I know, you I, know the tactics better than a lot of other people. I know. And I, by the way, like that advertising dominance, extreme centralization, extreme polarization, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who knows these platforms inside and out. That like It's because I spent eight years or so becoming an expert on how Google and Facebook work while caring about journalism that I was like, if some, this is this is heading in a bad direction. Dude, that's the story. Advertising guy understands the perils and evil of the way that he has made his living flips the model. I mean, if you want, that is the story. That is the story. <sighs> All right. Onward. <laughs> Okay, folks, in addition to getting your thoughts on our interview with Matthew, uh, we want to know what stresses you out the most as you are running your business or maybe your family, it's kind of your business, or your life generally. What is the thing right now that is like making you a little bit nuts? Tell us. Send us a voice memo or just an old-fashioned email to zigzag at stableg.com. And if you aren't signed up for our newsletter, which is free and comes on Thursday mornings, will you please just go to our homepage? It's zigzagpod.com. You just put in your email, and then every Thursday you get our picks for other podcasts that you might want to listen to and also links to articles that will take you deeper into the topics that we really just sometimes get to touch on here on the show. Do you want to add anything? No. Okay. This episode was produced (laughs) by me and Jen Poyant. David Herman was our audio engineer and composer. Many thanks to our other audio engineer, Dan DeZula, and to the studio we're recording at right now, born in Brooklyn. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Anoush Samarodi. I'm Anoush Samarodi. I said thanks so much for listening last time. I got to find something new to say. Thank you I, for being our friends. I mean, you can say, just say I'm thank you. I'm not going to say thank you. We said thank you enough. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.